Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. So did you know that the male brain is not fully developed until age 25? Age 25. For women, a a woman's brain is fully developed at age 21. Science is sometimes very sexist, but us guys, 25 years old, until 25, guys are idiots, and then sometimes after. 25, though, that makes sense. I, at least for me, I, I had to mature, and, and I still have to mature. My, my wife is probably my greatest help in, in that road of maturity, and, and I was thinking about this this last week, just how the male brain doesn't develop until age 25, and so I texted my wife, and I said, oh, babe, what are some dumb things that I've done or, or said? And and so she sent me a few, and after about two minutes, I was like, okay, okay, I got it. No, no, really, I, I got it. And uh, should, I, should I read this, this text thread to you? I, I, uh, it's about to get really juicy, a little bit of a sneak peek into our marriage. Here's some of the texts that she wrote me about some dumb things that I've done or said. She said, well, there's the time you found out what I got you for Christmas, and you didn't want it, so you unwrapped it, exchanged it, and then rewrapped it. Or there's the day we brought home our first child, and I was emotional and didn't know what to do, and you unpacked the car and said, well, I'm heading into the office. I'll see you this evening. I didn't know what to do with the baby. Uh, there was a time I was trying on clothes in the dressing room at the mall, and I asked you how I looked, and you said you could afford a bigger size. Uh, there was a time a bird was singing outside our window at 5 a.m., and you went out in your boxers and threw rocks at it because it was off pitch. It was dark out. Nobody saw me in my boxers. Uh, There was the time you ate a hot dog while I was trying to push a baby out. I don't need to read you the rest. I mean, you you get the point, right? Immaturity, immaturity. And to be fair, none of of that was was ill intent. Uh, I, I just, sometimes I can be awkward, like immaturely awkward. And as I said, Nicole has really helped out with me in doing better at social interactions. That's why I tell Nicole, I tell my wife all the time, like if she dies, I'm not getting remarried. There is just, there is no way. I would be terrible at dating. I cringe just thinking about the kind of first date I would be on. Nicole says if she dies, she'd rather I remarry. Otherwise, in her words, you'll live in a cabin or an airstream in the middle of nowhere and our daughters will look like cave women. But my response is always, if we're in the middle of nowhere, who cares what their hair looks like, you know? But I've had some growing up to do. I still have a ways to go. Road of maturity, um, but I'm getting better. I I stop myself from saying things all the time. And and I'm I'm doing so well that I'm happy to report I'm actually helping other guys out with with their maturity as well. Like uh, Denim. Denim is our student pastor. He's an awesome guy. I I love this guy so much. A good friend. Him and I go fishing all the time. We go up to our, our camp and, and uh, we always try to catch the biggest bass. And so last week, he called his fiance, Maddie. She's our Bridge Kids director. Uh, you'll see her on the What's Happening sometimes. Blonde, curly hair, a pretty, pretty girl. Denim called her a big old bass. He said, Maddie, you're the biggest old bass I've ever caught. And he didn't understand why she didn't like that. It was like, it was a compliment. But I knew because I had learned. And so I told him, I said, buddy, ladies don't like to be called fish or big, or old. Like your heart is in the right place, but your brain is, well, it's under 25 years old. This is road of maturity, and we're, we're all on it. So compared to where you were at in high school, hopefully you're a different person. Otherwise, you would be Uncle Rico. Remember this guy from Napoleon Dynamite? You know, living like he was back in high school, you know, back in 82, I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile. 
unlike Uncle Rico, we're supposed to mature. We're supposed to grow up. You know, we're supposed to get better or get a better filter, move on to better things, and just get better in life. And the same thing happens with us spiritually. If and when you decide to follow Jesus, God takes you on this journey of maturity, spiritual maturity. We, we call this sanctification, God growing you and maturing you. Sometimes it's two step forward, one step back, but God is patient and he brings us along on this road of sanctification. And so let me just take a time out here and ask you, how has God been maturing you? How's he been maturing you? I mean, some of us, think of it as some of us, we, we, we like to beat ourselves up so much. You're like, ah, I had a rough week, and I said some things I shouldn't have, and I did some things I shouldn't have, and I looked at some things I shouldn't have, and, and we beat ourselves up. You know, ah, I'm the worst. I got so far to go. I'll never get there. It's like, okay, well, let's look at some progress then. Is there any progress? Is there a little progress? Is there no progress? Is there a lot of progress? Is it possible that you are a spiritual Uncle Rico? And spiritually, you just you haven't grown and you're stuck in the same spot like you're back in high school, living like you were decades ago, a spiritual Uncle Rico. See, this may surprise you, uh, hearing this especially from the bridge, but what some of us need, maybe what all of us need, actually I would say all of us need this, is a religion reset. You may be thinking, oh, Junior, come on, religion, isn't religion bad? Like, religion is empty, religion is stuffy. Like, the big thing for Christians to say is, you know, well, I don't have religion, I have a relationship. And, yeah, sure, I have a relationship with Jesus too, it's awesome. We're all religious though. Even, even atheists at, at a level are, are religious because religion means devotion, specifically religion, uh, devotion to a system. But religion just means devotion, which is why Jesus' little brother James wrote, pure religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows. So yes, we have a relationship with, with God, but our devotion to that relationship is, is religion. And I say this because without realizing it, some of us, our greatest issue right now, it's not politics. It's not wearing masks. It's not social distancing. It's not your finances. It's not the drama going on in your life. The reason that you don't feel yourself right now is because you have bad religion. Your religion, your devotion is just jacked up, and you're in the same spot spiritually that you were 10 years ago. We got to hit the reset button on that. First Corinthians chapter three. We're in chapter three today. Really encourage you to grab a Bible wherever you're at. Grab a Bible, whether it's on your phone or you have a paper Bible, so we can be all be on the same uh, page of scripture together. I want to, as you as you're turning there right now, I just want to give you a heads up. This is not my my typical uh, sermon style. Today is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. There's just so much here in in chapter 3, and Paul just kind of fires away on a lot of stuff. He's from, from one topic to the next topic to the next topic, and, and so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to take a little bit to kind of keep up and, and stay, stay with Paul's pace, and so I just ask you, hang in there with me. I'm going to do my best here to, to, uh, to make this as smooth as, as possible, but I, I just, I just want to ask you to hang in here with me today. A lot to wrestle with, and so before we jump into this, man, we got to ask God for, for his blessing and, uh, and his help with this. So Father, we, we, we thank you that we can gather together uh, virtually as your church right now. And God, we thank you for that. Uh, Father, you, you have so much, so much to say to us today. As God, please eliminate all the distractions going on, on right now, the, the alerts on our phones and the thoughts of what we have to do later on. Uh, God, may this time right now in your word be a time where we can really zero in on what you have to say to us, because you're going to say a lot. And I ask that we are attentive and ready for all the things that you have for us. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms in, we enter a, a town that we've been staying in the last couple of weeks. We enter into the town of, of Corinth, a little port city nestled between the Mediterranean and the, and the rolling Grecian hills. It's a city with a great arts district and, and a great nightlife, it, and a city with a great arts district and nightlife is sure to have a darker side, isn't it? The Roman temple of Aphrodite eclipses the city, not just in size, but in popularity. Aphrodite, if you didn't know this, Aphrodite is the goddess of, of love and pleasure, uh, which brings pilgrims looking to indulge in sex at the temple, especially the sailors that are docked in the ports. Many women in town, in order to appease their gods, volunteer as the temple prostitutes, bringing in an income to the temple. It's a, it's a form of their worship. It was acceptable in their society. It was even admirable in some ways. Not far from this temple sat the, the city bathhouses that would periodically reflect the activity going on at the temple of Aphrodite. The taverns down the street had the typical over-drinking and gambling and fighting. It was, it was a city with a nightlife. And as we avoid all of that, we, we find a group of believers together in the city, a church, 50 to 60 people meeting together. Most, if not all of them, knew the darker side of Corinth from experience, but they've taken this road of maturity to God. They get this letter from Paul, they read these words, and Paul is about to assess their religion He's about to assess their growth trajectory. This is what he writes them. He writes, but I, brothers, brother, translate, this translation uh, seems sexist, doesn't it? And maybe it is, because the original Greek word for brothers here is, is brothers and sisters. It, it is the uh, male form of the Greek word, but it also meant sisters as well. A better translation of this would be siblings. Paul wasn't just talking to the guys in the church. He was talking to the girls, too. And he says, hey, we're family. We're siblings. I love you like a brother. Having said that, and since I love you, here comes the whooping. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's saying, when I was with you in Corinth, I treated you as worldly people because you were babies in the flesh. You were new people to the faith. And this is something that Christians don't understand. New Jesus followers act like people who don't follow Jesus because they're new. Sometimes people think like when you come to Jesus, like everything changes in an instant. And no, it, it changes over time. It's like a, a buddy of mine I met several years ago, he, uh, very rough background, was in constant fights in the bars. He swore like a sailor. He objectified women, even to his own girlfriend. But he walked into the bridge and he decided that he was going to follow Jesus. And he had a long way to go. And after months, even the year that followed, he seemed worse than even unbelievers. Uh, instead of saying amen in church, you know some people say amen in church. Instead of saying amen in church, he would sit in the church and he'd go, bleep right. You know, only it wasn't bleep. Like, he, he just, he didn't, he didn't know. He was, he was agreeing with the preaching and bleep right. And some people in the church, they would get angry. You know, he's so rough and he's so inappropriate. It's like, yeah, he's new. He's a baby. He's who we're on mission for. We got to treat him with grace like you would a baby. And that's what Paul's getting at here in these words right here. He's saying, as I talked with you, as I had these conversations with you, as I, as I taught you, I had to treat you like unbelievers because not long ago you were, and I didn't want to confuse you. You were just babies. You were infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. 
I was giving you the basics. I sat you down and I taught you, hey, don't fight, don't gossip, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. It was just like, it was the basics. It's like the Ten Commandments. What's interesting about Corinth was Corinth was a very spiritual, spiritually inflated society, if that makes sense. Paul, uh, or not Paul, people who lived there, not Paul, but people who lived there prided themselves in, in how spiritual they were. And so the people in this church, they took pride in how spiritual they were. Hey, we don't need, we don't need milk. Give us the steak. Give us the heavy stuff. Give us theology. Give us doctrine. Give us the meat. We're very spiritual. But Paul says this, but even now you're, you're not ready. You think you're ready, but you're not. You're not ready for solid food because you can't keep your milk down. He's saying to him, he's saying, you guys are a, a spiritual Uncle Rico. You're still acting like you did three years ago. You're still gossiping like you did three years ago. You're still getting your pride hurt like you did three years ago. Corinth, you haven't grown. And is it possible that he's talking to you? You know, pop that question up that I uh, had up here earlier. How has God been maturing you? Really think about that here. Think, Think about two years ago. Two years ago. Let's go back to 2019. 2019, seems like yesterday, doesn't it? 2019, two years ago. Are you any different than you were in 2019? Are you, are you better at loving than you were in 2019? Do you have more joy right now than you did in 2019? Are you more patient right now than you were in 2019? You just think through the, the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of our faith, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Are you a kinder person today than you were two years ago? Do you have more self-control today than you did back in 2019? I know, the longer that we're a Christian, the, the less changes are very drastic, but we're always growing, always growing. And what can happen, and maybe this has happened for you, you reach a point on this road of sanctification, this road of growth, where you just stop and you go, okay, I'm good, settle in. Like, oh, you still go to church, still do groups, but there's no challenge in your life. There's, there's no conviction. There's, there's no growth. Like Corinth here. Are you growing? Or have you stopped? See, in this chapter, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul gives five signs that you're growing. In a way, this chapter, chapter 3, is like this litmus test for you and I to take. And so let's take this. Five signs that you're growing. First sign that you're growing, Paul gives right here. You are practicing the basics. You're, practic- you're, you're, you're keeping your milk down, so to speak. You're practicing the basics. Paul says, I'm not giving you steak. I'm not going to take you deeper because you haven't gotten the basics down. You're still gossiping. You're still picking fights. You're still judging people. You're still comparing yourselves to each other. You don't have the basics down, so you're not ready for more. I can't take you to more. And a lot of Christians are right there. A lot of us are Corinth. I've mentioned this before, but I get told sometimes, it's okay, but I get told sometimes, you know, Junior, I need more. I, I need deeper stuff in the preaching, man. And, and it's fine, but, but often it's, it, it, it's from Christians like Corinth. They're saying, hey, I, I, need, I, need, I need more. I need to get really deep. But their marriage isn't great. They're hard to be around. They don't serve. They're very critical. They're not generous people. They're self-righteous. They're very gossipy, but they're going, oh, give me the meat. And Paul would say, why? You can't keep your milk down. Why don't you focus on keeping that? Why don't you master the milk first? If a baby is spitting up milk, you're not going to give it steak. 
No matter how, how, no matter how much they reach for the steak, you're not going to give them steak because they got to get, they got to keep the milk down first. That's what Paul's getting at here. And something big to add here too is, uh, is, and this should be obvious, but sometimes it's not. Adults feed themselves. Adults feed themselves. My youngest, for example, she's obsessed with babies right now. She really wants a baby. Not going to get one from Mama. We're done, so. Uh, my youngest loves babies, though, and sometimes she'll act, she's three, she'll act like a, a baby. You know, we'll be at the dinner table, uh, we were just there the other night, and she goes, Daddy, feed me like I'm a baby. It's kind of annoying, because it's like, you're three, feed yourself. A lot of Christians treat the church that way. Feed me. I've been a Christian for a long time. You know, I feel like the pastor's got to give me more, give me something deeper. You know, forget the new people, for, forget the other people who would not necessarily understand it. I want to be fed. Feed me some steak. But how weird would it be if you were to go out to dinner with some friends and your friend sitting next to you leans over and says, hey, can you uh, cut up my steak and feed it to me? You'd be like, you're a freak and we're never going out to dinner again. That's weird because adults feed themselves. At some point in your walk with Jesus, you become less dependent on the teacher because you're learning yourself. You're cutting the food yourself and you're eating on your own. The goal for teachers, and if you're a teacher, you know this, the, the goal for teachers is to work themselves out of a job because the students become independent learners. That's like the goal. You want them to become independent learners on that subject. Paul's point here is you guys haven't become, you church, Corinth, you haven't become self-learners. You're, you're not feeding yourselves. Now, that's not to say you get to this point where you, you know, outgrow the preaching. You never, you never outgrow milk. But some Christians will think that. You know, they get to a certain point in their, in their sanctification process. They'll get a really big head. And uh, they'll say, you know, oh, few, few preachers know what they're talking about. You know, I, I, I know it all. And I need deeper stuff than what most preachers can give me. And they become preacher critics. I like to call them spiritual teenagers. They're like know-it-alls. They're hard to love, but you got to love them too. In contrast to them... Growing adults, they come to church, they cheer on God's word, they humbly allow themselves to be reminded of God's word, and then they go feed themselves during the week. Because that's what adults do. It wasn't Corinth, though. Is that you? Are you keeping the milk down? You keep yourself from fighting and gossiping. you challenging yourself and, and learning to feed yourself. Are you practicing the basics? Some of us need a, a spiritual reset of our diet. We need to stop talking about needing more theology and needing to really get the basics down better. Paul continues, verse 3. He says, for you are still of the flesh. Still of the flesh. Meaning, you're not living according to the spirit that God has put into you. Instead, you're, you're living by your own desires. You're living according to your flesh. For while there is jealousy, you're jealous. While there's strife among you, you guys are fighting. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? He's giving us a second sign of growth here. Number two, second sign of growth that you're growing is you're pulling away from the world. You're pulling away from the world. Paul writes in verse 3, he says, you're still of the flesh. You're fighting, you're competing, you're envious, you're acting like everybody else in Corinth. And until you get tired of all of that, until you pull away from all that, you're not going to grow. I like to think of it like my first car. I got my first car when I was 16 years old. Here it is. It was a Plymouth Laser, twin turbo. It was old and it burned oil, but man, she was so much fun. 
Uh, my friend Theo, he had, uh, he had the same car, uh, only in, in black. So I had a white one, and he had a, he had a black one, and we would take those cars into the country, and we'd drive around and chase each other. It was just, it was a blast. One of, my, uh, one of the many issues, though, with, with my car, though, was it was not a line. And so when I, when, I, uh, when I drove it on a straightaway, it would constantly want to pull to the right. It, it would try to veer into the ditch. I had to drive on straightaways. I had to drive basically steering into traffic to keep it to go straight. You and I are a lot like this car. As you go throughout life, as you go throughout your weeks, you pull in a, in a certain direction. You, you either pull toward the activity of the world or you pull toward the activity of God. You pull one way or the other. And a lot of Christians have this fascination with the world, you know, with its drama, with its activity, with how it talks, uh, with its greed, with its politics, and, and, and they veer constantly toward the activity of the world. And they wink at it, we make light of it, we overlook it. But until we stop winking and stop liking and stop overlooking the problems of this world, until we grow tired of that, we're stuck. At best, we're stuck. What are you pulling toward? You pull in toward the activity of the world. You pull in toward the activity of God. This is what Paul is getting at. Uh, you can see, if you, uh, hopefully you have your own Bibles in front of you. You can see in verses 4 through 5, Paul repeats, about, uh, Paul repeats what he talked about in chapter 1. He says, everybody's dividing up. You know, I follow Paul, I follow Paulo. So he's repeating that same thing from chapter 1. In other words, he's, he's staying with that whole idea, that whole illustration of babies. Like babies, they wanted somebody to feed them. It's almost as if this church saw Paul or Apollos as their mommy, and they needed mommy to, to feed them, which is why in verse 7, Paul brings up, but it's only God who gives the growth. It's not me who gives the growth. It's not Apollos who gives the growth. It's God who gives the growth. You guys want someone to feed you. You're so stuck on mommy feeding you, you're not going to grow. Stuck on mommy. It's like the worst parenting stage, isn't it? I love it when kids are three. I, I, I mean, of course, I, I love my kids and their babies too, but they're so annoying. They're like stuck on mommy, you know. Mommy would go for a run, they would cry. Mommy would go to work, they would cry. Mommy would go to grocery shopping, they would cry. Like, mommy could not get a break. And then, you know, you, like, you get the kids down for bed, and it's like, hey, babe, we got some, like, alone time here. And, and she's like, nope, been touched enough today. It's like, yeah, I, I bet. I totally understand that. Because they don't leave mommy alone. Like they'll walk past, has this ever happened to you? They'll walk past dad to get help from mom. It's like you little twit. You could have just asked me, why'd you go to mom? There were a few good years where, where I felt like I came home from work and my whole job was to just fight them off mommy. And that's all I did. It was like an all-out war. I was like, defend the motherland. And I'm like barricading the kids in a room and chucking candy at them to just keep them away from mommy. You remember that? You remember that? That parenting stage? It's like the worst. That's Corinth. They're stuck on mommy, on Apollos, on Paul, on Peter. Their faith was tied to their leader, and they needed their milk from their mommy. And that's the third sign, the third sign of, of growing or, or maturing. Sign number three, you aren't dependent on one person. You're not dependent on one person when it comes to your faith. I've talked with, with Christians who have said things like, you know, well, my pastor failed me, so I'm done with church, period. I'm just done with that. And my response is always like, well, then was your church, like you going to church, was that about your pastor or was that about Jesus? Because it sounds like your faith was just tied to your pastor, and that's why you're so angry. 
I know for a lot of us, especially those of us who go to the bridge, we look at this, we're like, okay, this is kind of an easy one. I got this. I don't idolize church leaders. Like, I mean, we got Junior, and Junior throws rocks at birds at 5 a.m. He's no idol, so I, I'm, I'm good on this one. Okay, great. Let's come at this from a different angle then. Let me ask you, if your significant other stopped going to church, would you? If your parents stopped believing in all of this, would you? If your friend, that friend, renounced the faith, would you? Like, if they're not coming to church, are you still coming to church? You won't grow like that because your faith isn't yours. And some of us need to reset, press the reset button on the placement of our faith. Your faith is not through your significant other. Your faith is not tied to a church leader. Your faith is not through your parents. Your faith is between you and God. It's that relationship. The paragraph that follows, verses 10 through 15... Uh, talks about how uh, God will refine us. You can kind of see some of those words in here. Ultimately, in the next life, God's going to make us perfect in the, in the resurrected bodies. But even in this life, God is chipping away at us. As we grow, as we walk down this road of sanctification, as we mature, God is, is chipping off, so to speak, like a, like a chisel, chiseling off things that should not be on us. And then when it's all said and done, when we stand before God one day in the next life, we will be rewarded based on our growth and based on, on what we built in this life for the kingdom. Which is humbling for me to even say that to you, because at the bridge, and, and I mean this, at the bridge we have some generous servants, like generous servants. I'll be mowing some of your lawns in the next life. I really do believe that, because we have, we have so, so many in our church, and this is why I'm so uh, proud of our church, so many in our church who are just generous servants building things for the kingdom and walking that, that road to maturity. So that's what, that's what Paul is, is getting at. Um, here. God is growing us to then reward us, which is an amazing concept. Uh, skip down to verse 16, though. Verse 16. Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? Now, don't confuse this, which I did uh, earlier this week. Don't confuse this for uh, the verse when Paul talks about your body is a temple. That's, a, that's another verse. You ever hear that verse? People quote that to me all, uh, a lot of times when they, uh, people who disagree with my tattoos, you know, say, say Junior. How can you get tattoos? Your body is a temple. And uh, I don't know, I guess my temple just has art on it. I don't know. That verse comes later on in this book, and we'll unpack that verse later on. And then we'll all go get tattoos, and it'll, it'll be a fun weekend. Um, this, verse, this, verse is, uh, this verse is different, though. This is not that verse. Here, Paul isn't talking about their bodies. Paul is talking about them as a collective, to, to them as a group. He's saying, you, plural, as a church, are God's temple, corporately. He goes on to say in verse 17, look at this, he goes on to say that if anybody destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. Now that seems harsh. Why so harsh? Because God loves his bride, and God uses faith communities to reach people and grow people. And this is a sobering verse that gives us sign number four you're growing. Sign number four that you're growing is you are part of God's community. You're part of God's community. Church right now takes a lot of heat, doesn't it? A lot of churches are in the news. I, I think of, though, 
you know, a lot of times people say, oh, there's just so many bad churches out there. But a lot of times, though, churches are, it's like a plane going down. Planes never really go down, but if they do, they're in the headlines. That's how, how it is with churches. Churches don't really often go down, but the few that do are in the headlines. But still, churches take a lot of heat. Some of, them, some of that heat is legit. I mean, pastors fail, and there's cover-ups, and it's awful, and that will, not, that will not go unjudged. We leave that to the judge. We leave that to God. But some of the heat that the church takes is simply because this world didn't like Jesus, and so we can't expect this world to like Jesus' church. But with all of the heat that the church takes, it is still God's temple. God calls that. God calls the church His bride. And, and that's the thing when it comes to Christians who like to rag on the church. It's like, it's like a very popular thing right now, very trendy for Christians to just rag on the church. That's a very dangerous place to be. The groom is not okay with that. It's actually a very scary place to be. Like, I think about it for me. Um, for me, people can take shots at me. And, 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 and sure, some of them will hurt, and I'll do my best to just keep my mouth shut and take it and move on. But take a shot at my wife? <laughs> now gloves are coming off. You, you might need to lock me up after because it's going to go down. It's going to go down. I, I mean, it would hurt me. It would, it, would, it would hurt me far more to see my wife take a hit because she's my wife. And I'm far from the perfect husband. I read you the, those texts earlier. I'm far from the perfect husband. How much more does the perfect groom, how much more is he going to stand by his bride? And yeah, his bride, she may not look perfect, and she isn't, but she is loved by the groom who's coming back for her. And in the meantime, God says, yeah, she's not perfect, but you, you need to jump in to get into community, to get into accountability, and get deeper into church. Which means some of your best friends should be church friends. I'm not saying all of your best friends should be church friends, but some of your best friends should be church friends because we become who we hang out with. We better be deep into God's community, building each other up, sharpening each other, being there for each other, a legit family. And some of us need to hit that reset button on just on how we see church. Church is not a punching bag. Church is not a weekend thing. Church is not a side thing. It's a family thing. And until it's a family thing to you, Paul says you're not going to grow. Let's get that last sign of growth. Look at verse 18. Get toward the end here. Verse 18. Paul says, let no one deceive himself. And I love this. Let no one deceive himself. This is so good. This is so brilliant. The reason that so many of us aren't growing is this right here. We're lying to ourselves, which is sign number five that you're growing is you tell yourself the truth. You're honest with yourself. One of the things that I do on staff is I, uh, I coach some of the younger speakers. So our, our student ministry guys, which, by the way, at the bridge, we got some awesome student ministry guys. I love working with them. Um, we're very blessed to have those guys with us, like Denim and Danny and Chase and Josh. I mean, just great guys. I also coach our teaching team, and I love those guys. I'm, I'm younger than many of them, but they're just they're so great to, to work with. They're humble. They're godly men. And, uh, and, and, and often what we'll do is we'll sit down and we'll have these, these sermon feedback meetings. And they're the craziest meetings sometimes. I, I've been picked apart in my sermons, as I'm sure you can imagine. And I give feedback to the guys. And sometimes it gets a little awkward. It's, it's, it's kind of the best because I'm awkward. And so I just kind of love that. Uh, last week, I was, uh, I was with one of our, our um, student ministry guys, and we had to, I was giving him feedback on a sermon, and so he was in the truck, and my dad, the, the lead pastor at the bridge, he was in the truck as well, and, 
And so we're driving and we're listening to his sermon and we're just kind of talking it through him, talking it through with him. And it was this great conversation, but that whole time I could see he just wanted to jump outside. He wanted to jump out of the truck because it was, it was just very difficult. It was a very honest conversation of, hey, do it this way, don't, don't say it that way. A, a very honest conversation is what we do at the bridge. Like anyone who preaches at the bridge, anytime you see somebody up here preaching at the bridge, they have to have that humility, otherwise they wouldn't make it. The guys that don't make it onto our teaching team or the guys who don't make it through our student ministry are guys who think they're the best. They lie to themselves. They, you know, you, you, I meet with them. They want no feedback. They want no direction because they know everything. They've arrived. And, and they have, just way under their potential, they won't grow because they're not telling themselves the truth. And how often do we do that? We deceive ourselves to think we're the best. We deceive ourselves to think we're right. We deceive ourselves to think we're the victim and everybody's against us. And when we deceive ourselves, we stop growing. We've hit our lid with growth. Which is why Paul says in the next verse, he says, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Become a fool. In other words, act like you don't know everything because you don't. So just act like that. Act like the fool. That's the position of somebody who's going to learn something. I knew a guy who, he worked in middle management, and he's a great guy, follower of Jesus, wanted to do what's right, and he had this 3 by 5 card stuck in his pocket at all times with something written on the 3 by 5 card. And periodically, he'd be in meetings, and he'd just kind of take the 3 by 5 card out, look at it, and then put it back in. And written on that 3 by 5 card were the words, maybe they're right. So he'll be in meetings, you know, with his manager, and he's getting some feedback, some things that he doesn't want to hear, and he would just kind of pull out his three-by-five card and look at it. Maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe she's right. Or he'd be in a meeting with coworkers, and, you know, there's some tension. They're trying to get the best idea, and, and he's fighting with them a little bit, and he'll look at his Paul's card. Okay, maybe they're right. And it doesn't mean that he never pushed back or fought for his ideas. It doesn't mean he was like some sort of pushover. But what he was doing was he was, he was doing this right here. He was reminding himself, I don't know it all. I'm not the best. So I'm going to keep learning, I'm going to keep listening, I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to act like, hey, maybe they're right. How many people in the world today, including us, wouldn't be so insufferable if we did that too, wrote on that 3 by 5 card and had it in our pockets? How many of us would have healthier social media lives if we thought, you know, maybe they're right, so I'm not going to comment, maybe they're right. How many of us would have better marriages how many of us would have better working relationships if we stopped lying to ourselves and we thought, you know what, maybe they're right. It's that posture that encourages growth. Paul says to the church, he says, stop, stop, stop deceiving yourselves. Stop lying to yourselves. You all think you're right, and you all think they're wrong, and you all think you're victims. That's why you're not getting along. It's why you're fighting. It's why you're suing each other. And you're not going to grow that way. So stop deceiving yourselves. Are you there? The truth is we live in a society of self-proclaimed experts and victims. And until we realize that maybe we're wrong on some things, we're only going to get worse. And this world is only going to get worse. So much here in chapter 3, isn't there? Like I said, it's not my typical sermon style. I mean, Paul just like fires away on all these different things. It's good stuff, but it's a lot. Almost overwhelming. And Paul knows that. That's why he finishes the chapter this way. Look at this. 
He says, for all things, and again, this is the end of chapter 3, he says, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. I love that. He says, for all things are yours. All are yours. God has given you everything you need. All. All things are yours. It's so easy to look at chapter 3 and be like, you know, I got a lot of work to do. I got to feed myself better. I got to pull away from the world more. I got to engage in the church more. I got to be more honest with myself. I mean, we just drank from a fire hose, like a lot to do, and it's overwhelming. Paul says, I know it's overwhelming, but all things are yours. You got the tools. All things are yours. God has given you everything you need to grow. You are God's temple. God doesn't reside in the, the beautiful cathedrals in the churches. He resides in you. He has a front row seat to your thoughts. He has a front row seat to your intentions. And that's very intimidating, I know. But at the same time, it's very emboldening. Because the God of this universe, with perfect patience, lives within you. He walks with you. And he gives you everything you need. All things. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.